Hello and welcome to the Ultimate Health Podcast. Jesse Chapp is here with Marnie Wasserman and this is our 46th episode of the show. It's exciting. We're getting near the big number 50 and yeah, this has been a blast and you guys have been great supporters. So thank you so much. Yeah, and Jesse and I are sitting here at uh, the waterfront here in Windsor where Jesse lives, and we're sitting outside in a park, and we're surrounded by glow bugs, which is pretty cool for the Toronto City girl. Um, I don't get to see glow bugs too often, and I saw a bunny hop across the lawn earlier, so really, really quite fun and nice for us to be out in nature. Yeah, you always like to say when you're here, it feels like you're at a cottage, and it's definitely a huge change of pace compared to Toronto. So right now we're just sitting at the waterfront looking at the Detroit skyline and there's this big boat going across. It's all lit up cuz we just it's just past sunset now and uh just a little bit of light so we can see what's going on out here. And we're getting bitten alive. Um, we also- this is what we do for you guys. We're getting bitten alive. The mosquitoes are really coming out. but It's worth it. It's worth it. So speaking of Detroit, Jesse and I crossed the border today, and we went to Michigan to meet up with Dr. Joel Kahn, who has been on our show, episode number 18. So if you've listened to it, awesome. If you haven't, go listen to it after the show. And we had an amazing day with him. We did yoga at uh, this awesome yoga place in, uh, in Birmingham with this yoga instructor who's very well known his name is johnny kest so he did a really hardcore power yoga vinyasa class with us and it kicked our butts totally kicked my butt i haven't done yoga in a long time and oh man i was feeling it and i got it was a hot yoga so it was a hot yoga the sweat at the end oh my goodness yeah and then we went out for a dinner which was nice we went out for an amazing plant-based lebanese dinner and uh, ate on the patio so we had a really really nice well-rounded holistic afternoon it was perfect we got to meet joel's wife karen very sweet lady had some wine and just enjoyed a nice meal great conversation so we look forward to continuing that relationship and yeah dr joel Kahn, check him out online he's a great guy yeah so our uh, podcast today is with ronnie landis who is a very passionate nutrition focused herbal minded speaker, author, and he's got his hands dipped into so many different things, loves superfoods, loves talking about longevity, and really knows his stuff. This guy has done his research, and he has compiled so many different articles, and as I said, he's done a lot of speaking. So on our show today, we get into so many different topics that uh, you're going to find fascinating, and one big one is calcium supplementation, because that is a really controversial, big subject, because a lot of women and a lot of people in general are taking supplements and the wrong kind. So we talk about the problems with that and some of the natural solutions. And another topic that I love we really dug into is the adrenal glands and stress to the adrenal glands, adrenal burnout. And Ronnie is a wealth of knowledge on this topic. We talk about a specific herb that can help with adrenal stress and with a bunch of other things such as stamina and sports performance. And no, it's just great because so many of us these days with our stressful modern lifestyle have stress on our adrenal glands. And I'm sure if you aren't going through some kind of stress on your adrenals right now, you have at some point in your life. And this is just great information. 
yeah, you're going to get so much out of this episode because Ronnie just covers so many different topics. And uh, he also talks about his new upcoming book. So listen out for that and find out uh, where you can get it and what the name of it is. And also, guys, be sure to connect with us on our social media platforms. Certainly Instagram, the one we love. And we're starting to post a lot more on the Ultimate Health Podcast and sharing what Jesse and I are up to on the weekends and things that we're eating and doing. And But more importantly, we want to see what you guys are doing. So... What are you guys doing that's ultimate health related? And uh, tag us. Tag at Dr. Jesse Chappis, at Marnie Wasserman, at Ultimate Health Podcast, and stay connected to us. So, guys and gals, we are going to head back in because we've enjoyed being outside and it's such a peaceful summer night, but the bugs are getting atrocious out here. So, you might hear us swatting away at mosquitoes and such while we're. Uh, talking away here but uh it was worth it because it's just beautiful out here and we're gonna get right into things now with ronnie landis hello ronnie and welcome to the ultimate health podcast how you doing today doing fantastic excited to be here good we're happy to have you what have you been up to so far today well today i've gone through my morning rituals of awakening and then Went to the farmer's market over here in Hollywood, California. There's a huge farmer's market, has some of the best produce that I've actually ever come across. So that was cool. That was exciting. And then just, you know, doing some stuff, research-based stuff, reading, and here I am with you guys. Nice. So is this market within uh, walking distance from your place? Uh, Yeah, it's pretty close. Oh, that's awesome. And while we're on the morning routine thing, you mentioned your your awesome routine you kicked started the day off with we love talking about morning routines so can you break down like how would you go about starting a typical morning yeah so every morning I pretty much focus on hydration first so immediately when I wake up obviously you go to the bathroom and everything but then from there I really focus on just drinking water and I like to fast in the morning Um, And that's more in alignment with the natural stages of metabolism. In the morning, you're more catabolic. So you're literally dispelling acid waste products that are that are floating around in your all your eliminatory organs, specifically your your throat, your colon, your kidneys, um, and also your skin. So skin brushing is great, too. But I just focus on on water. And then I might take a few a few little goodies, like I, I usually take around 20 to 30 metabolic enzymes every morning. So that's actually a part of my, my, my detox and kind of rejuvenation protocol in the morning. So those enzymes actually work to cleave off all the scar tissue that you develop over time. Because every single day, you're constantly going through this this breakdown and hopefully a rebuild process. Unfortunately, for most people, they they as the aging process um, accelerates, they lose their ability to actually repair at the same pace that their body is starting to break down. So that's something that's been foundational in my routine for, for a long time now. And then after after I do that, I like to kind of reset my mind and my just my state. I like to start the day with the right state of mind before I actually jump full force into it. That's one thing that I've learned is not to just rush into the day or rush into work without actually being in the proper state first. Otherwise, it's it's just kind of wasting energy. So what I do is I simply just meditate for about 30 minutes to 60 minutes, depending on the flow 
And then after that, I read. And then after that, I might go into some form of workout, whether that's uh, trail running up in the hills or that's going to the gym and doing my weight training or something along those lines. I like to get myself fully activated. And then from there, I'll go into um, whatever my obligations are. Usually, it's some kind of computer work, whether it's for my business, it's for um, I'm writing books pretty much constantly, like two to three books at any given time. So that'll probably be in there somewhere and just kind of goes in that, that, that progression. You talked about not rushing into the day. And I think that is so important, especially with the way society is set up in general these days where we're rushing out the door a lot of times and we're not really taking the time to meditate or do some breath work in the morning and really take our time with a nice healthy breakfast to get out the door on the right foot. So what do you think are some of the other things that are contributing to like this stress and this go, go, go mentality leads to adrenal stress and eventually adrenal burnout if things aren't taken care of. So what are some of the other things that you're finding in modern society that are leading to this taxing on the adrenals? Okay, well, that there's there's a number of moving parts to that question. I mean, I think the most obvious thing to start with is that we've all heard this idea of time management and the reality that's that's like a crazy joke, right? I mean, you can't manage time and and our concept of time is actually an illusion anyways. It's not this linear kind of 1 2 3 4 5 kind of thing that the way that we try to manage it or try to control it it's actually energy conservation and knowing where you're putting, you're directing your energy and identifying the things in your life that are leaking energy or in Chinese medicine, they would call that leaking jing, which is essentially your life force energy. It's your primary, primordial core, sexual, cerebral fluid, neurological energy, your spinal energy, all that the quote-unquote energy or the substance within your human frame that literally encapsulates your life force, most people are wasting it in, in a diversity of ways. But one of the ways that it's being wasted is this, this addiction to control or this addiction to seriousness where people are so serious about everything in their life and everything is being translated into the potential of some catastrophic event that's going to happen if they don't work harder or if they don't like push, 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 push. And that to me is like the biggest contributor to adrenal stress or adrenal burnout because literally what it does is it signals the the fight or flight sympathetic overload syndrome, which is where you're, you have different facets of your nervous system. You have your autonomic nervous system, your sympathetic, parasympathetic, your um, central nervous system, so on and so forth. And your, your sympathetic nervous system is, is the, let's call it like activation. It's basically if someone is being chased by a lion or a tiger, we've all heard that example, or someone's in a high state of stress where their body is more alert, all the blood is rushing to their, their tissues, to their, to their musculature, to their extremities where they have to move. They have to be super alert. It, that's good when it's necessary. You know, like as an athlete, that's really good in small bursts when I need to like run up and down a basketball court really fast, right? But to actually to hold on to that and to, to push that button over and over and over 
it is extraordinarily damaging to the body. It's a catabolic process, basically. So it literally breaks down the tissues of the body and stimulates adrenaline and cortisol from your adrenal glands. So that's how that translates into the adrenal glands is that when you have a stressful thought and you prolong that thought, you hold that thought in your awareness it starts to create what's called a reticular activating system or an RAS. Um, Anthony Robbins used to talk about this a lot where when we hold one thing in our mind, we start to see other things of that similar nature. We start to see that thing show up in our awareness more frequently. So that's the same as like if you you see a Tesla car, like that's that happened to me. Like I I, I decided that I wanted to drive a Tesla. And literally every day after, like, I see Tesla's like, boom, boom, boom. It's, it's crazy. Like, I just see it all over the place. And almost every other car is filtered out of my kind of my immediate focus. Well, most people are choosing to direct their thoughts towards a negative outcome. So they're seeing this outcome constantly repeating itself wherever they go. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, exactly what you just said too. It's like what we bring into our awareness shows up right in our face. And it's, yeah, very interesting concept. Yeah, there, there's another part of this too that I think is really important. It doesn't get talked about a lot. Obviously, with there's so much there's so much stuff going on with like the hormone symphony, the hormone complex, the endocrine system, and how that relates to the adrenals. There, There's two things that I think are really key to just kind of put out there is that a lot of thyroid issues are actually direct consequences of adrenal burnout, actually. Um, the thyroid and the adrenals are in a feedback loop communicating back and forth with each other. And when there's an imbalance in one of those areas, the other one is going to suffer. So that's something I just want to put out there because so many people I come across are suffering from a metabolic syndrome or, or some kind of problem in their metabolism. And it's directly related to either their thyroid or their adrenal or most, most likely both of those. And the other thing I think is really valuable is that a lot of times when someone reaches the point of a chronic fatigue syndrome, you know, after we exhaust all the, the aspects of, you know, our, you know, where, what does your diet look like? Um, are you drinking quote unquote stimulants or coffee? Cause that's an obvious one that people go to. Are you doing stimulants, this, that, and the other? And then what, comes up underneath the surface for a lot of people is actually the presence of a virus. Viral um, infections actually appear to be the root cause of like what we would call a chronic fatigue syndrome. That's not like you're kind of tired once in a while. That's like every morning when you wake up, you are like exhausted. Like you burnt your, your candle out completely and you're just kind of like struggling through your day. You might have like little surges of energy towards four or five in the evening, which is obviously going to lead to an imbalanced circadian rhythm, your sleep cycle. But that's like, a that's what a chronic fatigue syndrome really is. And we don't, we take for granted how exhausted and stressed out we really are in this society. So that's something I would have people look at is like, you know, what does your diet look like in terms of are you feeding pathogens? Are you feeding viruses? Are you feeding 
fungal infections because candida has a very direct relation to our state of consciousness and that that's that's a whole thing i we could go in on go in later if you want so these infections are underlying root causes of the these kind of adrenal thyroid and otherwise kind of conditions that that we focus on for sure. And then it's certain types of practitioners that people probably would need to go to to see some of this blood work or deep, you know, tissue level work to be able to see some of this. I know, you know, for myself and some of my clients, it's, you know, certain naturopath or practitioner that'll be able to bring this to light. So are there certain people or ways that people can find this out? Number one. And number two, what are some strategies mm-hmm. and maybe some herbs or extracts that can help people work through this? Yeah, um, uh, obviously working with someone who's really, really like knows their stuff and, and is able to look at things depending on the context opposed to myopically looking at something from a one point of view, which I find actually with a lot of people, like a lot of women, especially elderly women that have worked with me, elderly men and women actually, that have come to me when they are just like down and out. They've been to naturopaths, they've been to Chinese medicine practitioners, and they were given advice that I told them was completely, actually completely the wrong thing for them. It might have been appropriate for someone else, but it was actually really wrong for them. And it actually exacerbated a certain condition that they were, that to me seemed obvious, but based on the education that someone may have or their, or not having a full picture, then they, they, they weren't able to, to give them the right tools. So that's one thing I just consider when it, when it comes to who are you going to work with? Make sure that, that they resonate with you, I guess is what I'm saying. And that, you know, they have, they have a few different perspectives to work from, but beyond that, what can you do for yourself? Well, you could definitely become an avid researcher of your own life and your own health because what I, what I found for me and, and pretty much a lot of my messages dealing with the metaphysical aspects of health and nutrition and getting in tune with your own rhythms, right? Getting in tune with uh, who you really are, what is your goal, what is it, where are you right now in your life? Getting clear on how you feel and what's okay and what's not okay with your current state of affairs. And then saying, okay, where do I want to be and how do I want to feel is a really good way to begin that blueprint or that map so you know where you're going. Because a lot of people, again, go to the practitioners, but they don't have a, they don't have like a direction. They don't have a goal in mind. They're, just, they're basically in desperation mode, right? They're panicking. So they're like, oh, God, okay, I gotta, I gotta go to the doctor. I gotta go here. I gotta go there. And, and they're just, they're just running around without having the proper state, right? The proper attitude about it. So that's, that's number one is, is implementing things like meditation into your life implementing things that downregulate the nervous system, like I was talking about, that bring you into a little more of a parasympathetic state, which is calming. And it literally allows all the blood flow to to distribute itself throughout the, the areas of the body that don't require your consciousness in order to function. That's, that's what we call the autonomic nervous system is like your digestion, you know, your respiration, breathing, your cardiovascular flow, elimination, digestion. These kind of things don't require you 
to actually think about them. But if you're in that, that sympathetic state all the time, blood flow gets restricted to those areas of the body and people wonder why they have constipation issues. They wonder why they have digestive issues is a huge one related to that, that issue of being super stressed. And then as far as like herbs and stuff, I, I think what's coming to me, first of all, is probably cordyceps, actually. Okay. Yeah, cordyceps mushroom. And um, specifically thinking of the viral issue that's related to adrenal stress or adrenal burnout, cordyceps is highly antiviral. It's highly antiviral. In fact, it inhibits a process known as reverse transcriptase, which is just the, the replication of viruses in the body. And then it also helps you with increasing ADP or ATP production, um, which is basically your like cellular energy, right? It's how your cells produce energy um, using food as energy packets. Well, cordyceps actually allows your body to kind of bypass that metabolic process of digestion and go straight into energy production, which is why cordyceps was one of the most renowned herbal substances in the Chinese lineage and why actually um, there's a famous story about cordyceps in, uh, what was it? I have it written down in my upcoming book, but I believe it was in the 80s, the late 80s. It might have been 1986, 87, something like that. But it was at the World Games where a Chinese track team actually won all seven divisions. They they took they took all seven divisions in the World Games and they they broke every record. And then the you know they were actually investigated for possibly doping. You know they're like, wait a minute, this is what are you guys doing? You know this is this is uh, unheard of. You guys have to be you know taking steroids or something like that. And then they found out that they were totally clean. And when they looked at their diet, they found out that they consumed a tea of like their main ingredient was cordyceps, maybe with like Romania or goji berry or, or Hoshu Wu or something. But cordyceps was like the primary ingredient. And that's what that story is actually what led cordyceps into prominence in the Western world, actually. That's why we all know about it is from that story. Yeah, cordyceps is uh, a big part of our herbal routine for Marnie and I. And again, we're, we're really big fans of its benefits for endurance, for sports performance. I'm glad you brought that other aspect in. But for somebody who's saying, okay, cordyceps, this is, this is a starting point for me. Where would they go to get cordyceps and how would you recommend they consume it? You mentioned tea. Is that the best way or? Just if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah. So so all the cordyceps being produced is is what's called techno-grown, or it's, it's grown on rice, organic rice, for example. So right now, what I'd recommend is that people look into mushroom products, medicinal mushrooms that are extracts primarily, if they want more of the, the profound effect. So a cordyceps extract, like um, there's a company called Mushroom Science, that makes a really good product. There's also Jing Herbs who has a mycelium-based cordyceps product, and that's more for empowering the immune system. So there's different, there's different types of products, but for what I'm talking about specifically, mushroom science is probably one of the best ones for that. And then it just comes in little uh, powdered capsules. So then you just make your tea, make your herbal elixir in the morning, which can be your favorite tea. 
and then maybe put some coconut oil into it and then put a few capsules of the cordyceps in that, blend that up into some kind of frappe and then take it that way. Okay. So just to elaborate a bit on that, they would want to open the capsule up and dump the contents into the blender and blend that all together, right? Yeah, ideally. Okay. So, okay. So they've done that. They've made this drink and, and you'd recommend consuming it in the morning? Uh, yeah, I would actually. Most people I find actually run better on on a fat metabolism, meaning that they actually get the they procure the dominant source of their calories from fats, a diversity of fats. But especially in the morning when your adrenal glands are are soaking up specific nutrition or specific sources of sustenance to power them back on without having to use an immediate stimulant um, like caffeine, for example, to boost an artificial uh, energy production, right? So your adrenals, depending on your metabolism, but for most people are going to actually be able to siphon that precursor from fat sources like saturated fat, for example, that's going to allow them to coast in their day a lot longer and to sustain energy and sustain blood sugar better than if they just took like a bunch of sugar, for example. That is more like, you know, if you looked at a fire and you put a log in the fire, which is what fat is, it's going to burn a lot longer. But if you just throw like paper into the fire, it's going to give you like a flare. It's going to give you that stimulatory burst, you know, that like, oh, okay, great. But it's a little more frantic and it's not sustainable. So that's why I've, I've really, I've really orchestrated my routine to actually, once I'm done with water and everything, I start to go into elixir mode a couple hours later. And that'll be like, like I just said, like a a tablespoon of either coconut oil or ghee butter with, you know, whatever herbs, maybe a little bit of cacao and sea salt, honey, whatever tea I'm making like today was a shaga and guayuse tea. And then I'll just do it that way. And that that will sustain me for, I've had it sustain me literally the entire day where I forgot about food all day long. And then it was like six or seven o'clock. I was like, oh, I, maybe I should eat something, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of like that. So that's one thing. And then also is using salt as a way to replenish your a burnt out adrenal system as well. This is something that there's, there's contra everything actually it's amazing to me everything has like some kind of controversy to it but really what salt really is like sea salt what i'm talking about really what that is is that is a restorative source of uh source of mineral material that actually plugs back into your adrenal glands and and literally modulates or or it regulates your blood sugar so what i find with most people is that they are victims of hypoglycemic impulses where the moment they have a thought of food, they automatically start salivating. They automatically start like, you know, they start going into like, you know, I got to eat, I got to eat, I got to eat kind of thing. It kind of takes over their whole deal. So salt is another thing like water and salt, what I'm talking about, salting up your tonic, salting up your smoothies, salting up your water with sea salt is a really powerful way to to satiate your hunger if you feel like you know you're eating too much and you don't really need to. And also again, plugging back into the adrenal system for for balancing. 
Yeah, it's a great tip. Actually, today after Jesse and I went for a long run, it's hot out here in Toronto. We made some lemon water and put some sea salt in, you know, homemade Gatorade. <laughs> it's such a good way just to replenish and feel good. So just the importance of that. I don't think people really think about adding those salt minerals to their water. And I'm using reverse osmosis at my food studio. So it's just, uh, you know, it's already depleted with nothing. So right. con- reconstituting it with some lemon juice and sea salt is is awesome. But I want to talk yeah. about stimulants, Ronnie. You mentioned, you know, stimulants a couple of times and how as a society we're reliant on them because our adrenals are tapped, we're burnt out. So we jump to coffee, maybe green tea, yerba mate. Some of them are healthy, good sources of caffeine. But what are your thoughts on that and how can we incorporate them in a healthy way? And what are some of your faves? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one thing I've been looking at for a number of years is this whole this whole idea on stimulants. And being in the raw food world for years, I mean, I know so many of the the leaders in the field and, and I've just kind of seen everything on the back end. So it's like I don't really buy into like the natural hygiene kind of ideas on most of this stuff when it comes to polarizing against anything that is quote unquote considered a stimulant because the truth is all food is a stimulant. I mean, your blood sugar gets stimulated 20 to 30% when you eat any kind of fruit or you eat like, you know, bread obviously is an extreme example. It's basically crystallized sugar. But when you have any kind of food, it stimulates your body in a number of ways. So I think we need to find a different way of looking at these things. You know, when we think of coffee, for example, automatically it's like we think of caffeine being a bad thing. We think of all these negative things. And you know what? I've gone back and forth with coffee. At this point, I'm actually of the opinion that that we need to really move away from the coffee culture because we've become addicted to, you know, it's kind of like the dairy culture. It's kind of like the factory farm meat culture in a way that we've gotten addicted to the most extreme, the most bastardized, the most inappropriately formed version of that once sacred fruit, which is coffee fruit, and it's the bean of a fruit. And now we just turned into just some kind of roasted, toasted, and potentially genetically modified and mold-containing kind of coffee bean that people are literally chemically, physically addicted to. So with that said, I, I definitely feel like coffee is something that we, we need to migrate away from. And what do we do about that? Well, there's two plants that come out of the Amazonian um, herbal culture that, interestingly enough, are two of the most caffeinated plants, and they contain some of the most diverse spectrum of you know minerals, nutrients, and antioxidants of the entire Amazonian herbal emporium, and that's Ilex paraguensis, otherwise known as yerba mate, which is a direct cousin of Ilex guayuse. And so, you know, guayuse, for example, is the most caffeinated plant in the world. And I just had some of that in my my uh, my tea earlier today. And you know what's interesting about that? I don't get that same like that same feeling if I have coffee. It's interesting, like, because we associate all these negative effects with caffeine, but I'm, I'm drinking the most caffeinated plant in the world, far more than coffee, and I, I feel more focused, I feel more loose, I feel just more, a little more in flow, but I don't have that jittery, kind of like over-the-top feeling that you get from coffee, and what, what I think is really cool to know about, or really 
interesting to know about anyways, about coffee is that most coffee actually contains a type of fungal metabolite called uh, mycotoxins. And it, it appears to me, based on the research and just my observation, that it's actually these fungus byproducts that are causing the jitteriness that are causing the hyper-aggressive irritation and agitation and abrasiveness that we associate with the personality of people that are like high-strung, that are constantly pouring down coffee to keep going, right? And that, again, to me, is like, that's candida consciousness. That's what that is. That that's When someone has candida or a fungal overgrowth, their personality changes. They are not the same person, right? So I think that has a deep connection with our idea of stimulants and coffee. Now, moving beyond that, I think that that caffeine, theobromine, which is a chemical cousin of caffeine that's found in chocolate primarily, a um, number of other things as well, theophylline, matine, some of these chemicals... These are actually very natural substances and have always been used in indigenous cultures throughout the world, but they were used as delivery mechanisms for other medicine, for herbal medicine, for example. In fact, there's no herbal culture that I'm aware of that's never implemented these kind of delivery, quote unquote, stimulants as a way to deliver these herbal medicines into the bloodstream, because what it does is it actually opens up the cardiovascular system. It opens up the blood capillaries and allows these other substances to actually be transported into, into our cells more effectively. So that to me is actually the role of, of, of these plants is that they are like harmonizers or they're no better yet. They are, yeah, they're delivered, they're transportation vehicles for other ingredients. So for example, if I'm going to do yerba mate or I'm going to do guayusei, I might do it on its own every once in a while, but strategically, I'm going to do it with other ingredients that help transport transport them in. I'm glad you tied that in because that goes back to the elixirs, what you're talking about earlier. Marnie and I are big fans, more so myself, of Yerba Mate. I want to ask you a little bit more about the Guayuse because that's something I hadn't heard of or seen at the health food store, but mm-hmm. we love to use yerba mate if it's early enough in the day because it does stimulate the body but it makes a great base for these elixirs and that plus the chocolate having that dilating effect on the vessels like you said helps drive these herbal medicines into the body so i'm just glad you took that back around and tied that in because that's that's an important point for people Absolutely. And just touching on guayusei really quickly, guayusei is a fascinating plant. There's a lot of interesting things going on with it. One of the things is that it's one of the richest sources in an amino acid called L-theanine. And L-theanine basically is is an amino acid that calms down the system. It, It regulates serotonin and dopamine production, which, by the way, dopamine deficiencies are 100% correlated with adrenal fatigue because where is your dopamine produced? It's from your adrenal glands, essentially. And so when someone has an adrenal wipeout, there's 100% cases of people with dopamine depletion. So that's, so that's something else. Maybe we'll, we'll round that out later on, but I just want to point that out. So, you know, it's interesting to me that the number one caffeinated plant, caffeine being this chemical that is literally 
opposed by every health food fanatic and raw food fanatic in the world. And it turns out that this plant also contains its exact balancing um, amino acid present in it. Like, like people that are very high strung and they can't get a hold of their behavior, they're recommended to take L-theanine as a supplement to kind of ground and, and you know balance them out. So I find that really interesting that for some reason by, by the gift of the gods or whatever, it would be just woven into that. One more interesting thing I want to say about Guayuse that I'm, I'm thinking about as I think about the idea of like, these these herbs, these plants that are literally they they're so irrationally designed by nature. What I mean by that is like the way Guayuse came out, the way you know we think of like ayahuasca, Banisteriopsis copy. The the only reason we really know about that plant is because of a man named Richard Evan Schultes who was the ethnobotanist in the the sixties and seventies, and he was obsessed about finding guayuse and so he went to the amazon rainforest and met with the indigenous amazonians and he was in search of guayuse and from that search he actually was introduced to the chacruna leaves or the you know the dmt containing parts of the ayahuasca plant and the banisteriopsis copy vine and when those two things are put together they create this this entheogenic brew that most of us are very familiar with the psychoactive exploratory brew this medicine and he that's how he came across ayahuasca and that's how the world even knows about it because of Richard Evan Schultes and he was called upon by the guayuse plant so it's interesting to me how once you get into this for a while and you start to you start to let these plants actually work through you you start to see life differently you start to view it non-linearly so the linear perspective if i'm going to like pull from david hawking's work power versus force the linear perspective is like you know one plus one equals two three four everything moves in a straight line success is a straight line it's just a to z when the truth is everything is being operated by non-linear dynamics so it's not really one two three it's like zero zero one two three five eight thirteen you know twenty one thirty four like um, the Fibonacci sequence and and everything is is like it's it's like a riddle is what I'm saying so you start you stop looking at like nutrition from this like oh this is good this is bad this is yes this is no this is 100% this is you know 0% whatever like all the controversies and extreme points of view in the nutrition world it's like really it's a cosmic joke because none of that's really true empirically what is true is that it's a riddle nutrition is a riddle and it's up to the alchemist to actually decode that riddle for themselves very interesting now, quick question. Is there a company that makes it that we could look for or share with the listeners? There's a number of companies out there. You could just look at Guayuse or type in Ilex Guayuse. Okay. Tea bags, then, loose you know, leaf, different ways? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a fan okay. of loose leaf. Perfect. I'm not really a big fan of tea bags. Yeah, we agree. Just wanted to just make sure it came that way because that's great. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll link it to our show notes. That's awesome. Yeah, Jesse cool. mentioned he's a fan of uh, Yerba Mate. I love the longevity tea, and I know that you know that tea as well from Dragon Herbs. That's that's my go-to, yeah. the gynostema. Yeah. Love it. But I'm going to switch topics here. going to talk about uh, calcium supplementation. Mm-hmm. This is a huge, huge area and one that is so 
poorly addressed. It's widely addressed, but in the wrong way, because women are falling uh, victim to it every single day and on what their doctor is telling them. So let's talk about, you know, maybe some alternatives and why kind of traditional calcium supplementation is actually causing more harm than good. Right. Yeah. So calcification over the last four or five years has become literally an obsession of mine. It keeps coming back up over and over. And it is probably the biggest issue that and hormones are like the two biggest health issues going on right now. And what's happening is that people are literally being silted up from head to toe, every extremity, every part of their tissue, their soft tissues, their glands, their especially their nerves their joints, their, and their bone structure and their spinal column and also their cardiovascular system is being silted up and insulated by debris of calcium excess. So what the, what calcium supplements essentially are is their end products of metabolism or their end products of, you know, of, uh, strata that's left in the geology of the earth that's mined out, it's dug out. And it's hard material that is put into these capsules and sold as a calcium, a calcium uh, supplement. But literally that, that stuff is not even real anymore. Like it, it can't, it can't be metabolized into bone building material. So that's the thing that people need to understand is that, you know, most of the supplement industry is owned by the pharmaceutical industry. So they're, so they're not like totally interested in you having the best bones ever, right? They're, they're, they're like, how can we make this cheaper? How can we, we, you know, sell this to people? How can we convince people that they need our product? Well, we're going to tell them it's calcium and they need, and they somehow actually need calcium in order to build strong bones, in order to avoid hip fractures and so on and so forth. So. My, my recommendation for people off the bat is eliminate calcium supplementation from your consciousness 100%. Just, just get, just, just don't even entertain that idea anymore. It's a bad theory. It's not based on science. It's, it's just kind of out of court, right? So, you know, when I think of bones, I actually think of the material that bones are made out of. And it's not like bones are made out of calcium. You know, their their calcium is in there. There's a lot of calcium in bones, but it's not just calcium. You know, there's boron, there's manganese, there's there's iron, there's zinc, there's magnesium, and then there's silica. Right now, what's interesting about this is that what really got me drew me into this this whole calcification conversation was what I just alluded to by what the problem with calcium supplements are. But there was there's a lot of deeper things going on with this because there's certain minerals that actually rearrange themselves in our metabolism to fit the needs of our structural health. So what I mean by that is you can take magnesium or you can take silica and based on the research done by a a French chemist named uh, Louise Curvon, he actually demonstrated that silica and magnesium can be converted into calcium as the body requires it for construction or for whatever the function of calcium is needed. But when you take calcium by itself, especially as an end product, it doesn't work right. It builds on top of the bones instead of building the bone. Does that make sense? Yeah, or it can even build up within soft tissues such as Ligaments, tendons, and muscles. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, here's the here's the, here's a correlation or a connection that that really like gave me an aha moment. When you study heart disease, 100% of heart disease cases have an excess of calcium and a deficiency of magnesium. 100%. That's very interesting to me. It's like, "Oh, okay, that okay. Now I'm starting to see a bigger picture here. So what people actually need is they need magnesium because magnesium is the number one mineral used by the human heart. And it actually can help displace excess calcium from the body. It can help push it out of the wherever it's, it's uh, localizing itself. Uh, so what kind of magnesium yeah. do you recommend? There's sprays, there's oils, mm -hmm. there's powders. You can, a product Marty and I are currently using is called Natural Calm, and we mix that in hot right. water and sip on that, usually in the evening before bed. Have you found that one type of magnesium is better assimilated by the body? Not, not totally. I mean, I, I always go to food first. So I look at what food contains the most amount of magnesium, and the number one thing is chlorophyll. Chlorophyll being the the delivery the delivery system for magnesium, right? All the plant blood basically. So green vegetable juice and algaes are my preferred source of magnesium first and foremost. Chlorella being the number one of any besides cacao. Cacao is the number one food in magnesium. But then as far as like what green foods, what chlorophyll rich foods, chlorella is the number one food source of chlorophyll of any food in the world up to 10% dry matter weight, which is, which is substantially quantifiably bigger or larger content of chlorophyll than any other food, any other wheatgrass juice or barley grass juice or any of that stuff that we typically equate with being high in chlorophyll. Those aren't even 1% chlorophyll by weight. Chlorella is ten percent, so that right there is huge. Is a huge is a huge thing that I recommend people really get into. And then, as far as like supplementation, um, there's all kinds of great stuff out there. You recommended Calm. That's a, that's a cool product. I I like transdermal sprays. So something that I can I can spray onto my skin for quicker absorption. Preferably, if you have a partner, you two can you can practice touch therapy at the same time with the magnesium. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But again, I, I typically go to food first. Okay, here's the situation for you. In practice, I see this all the time where a patient will come in and it's a middle aged woman who has been told by their medical doctor that they're either osteopenic, so decrease in bone density, or they're already mm -hmm. at the point of osteoporosis. Yep. What can they do at that point to, cause the doctor is a hundred percent going to want them on just, just a calcium supplement. Like right. we've already talked about with that being put by the wayside, what would you recommend to somebody in that situation? Okay, great. So there's a, there's a few different things. There's two main things. There's, there's remineralizing the bones, osteoporosis, bone mineral deficiency. If we look at the word osteo, Osteo means bone, but there's two parts of it because there's the there's the hard bone-like material, which is a lot of like that calcium material. Then there's more silicaceous material, which is basically like silica. It's basically um, like magnesium, silica. And so I look at like, okay, what foods and herbs are the highest in silica? Because again, silica can biologically transmute into 
bone building material as the body needs it. So the highest forms of silica are, you know, just from basic food like cucumbers and bell peppers. And silica is associated as the beauty mineral. So skin, like vibrant, radiant skin, is associated with silica. So you see that shine, that glow, and that silkiness of cucumbers or bell peppers. That, that's, that is silica, literally on the skin of it. And then certain herbs that have a high amount of silica are horsetail, nettles, oat straw, hemp leaf, and then uh, actually aloe vera is another very rich source of silica, um, the gels specifically. And then diatomaceous earth. Diatomaceous earth is another really important thing that people need to know about as a, as a bowel cleanser, as an antiparasitic tool. But it's also one of the richest sources of silica in the world as well. So those are some really important tools. Now, what other people, what people need to know on the other end of this equation is that calcium Calcium excess, these calcification materials, are literally branching off in the cardiovascular system and the soft tissues, you said, and also the nervous system and bone structure, and they need to be broken down, and they need to be chelated out of the body or even even urinated out of the body. And the way that you start that process is by applying calcium dissolvers into your, your lifestyle. So calcium dissolvers are materials that literally just break down hardened, crystallized calcium structures in the body. So a few that come to mind are methyl sulfonyl methane, which is MSM, which is probably the most appliable. It's the easiest to integrate into your life. It's the cheapest thing. It's one of the cheapest supplements that you can get. And it's, it's probably the most effective thing that you can do right away to start breaking down that crystal crustacean. And then there's also another one called ethyldiamine tetracetic acid, which is EDTA. EDTA, which is, you know, the research on that is really interesting because it's used primarily in, in cardiovascular disease. And what it does is it basically, it magnetically binds and pulls out heavy metals and mineral deposits in the body. So my, my feeling is the reason that that's so powerful for cardiovascular disease is actually because it's pulling out hard minerals like calcium out of the vascular system and and getting that stuff out of there. Very interesting. Thank you for all that. So yeah, it's just so important for people to really pay attention to that because it's such a huge, huge, huge subject. And uh, people need to, after listening to this, you know, do more research. There's so much out there alternatively on calcium. So, uh, you know, become informed about it. So, Ronnie, I want to ask a little bit about your diet and how it's evolved over the years and, you know, what your thoughts are incorporating or not incorporating animal products or what you're currently eating, not eating. Share with us. Okay. Well, my, my diet has definitely evolved as I've evolved. I find that I feel like, you know, nutrition and diet is a daily discipline that, that we are focusing on every day, which is why it makes it so powerful as a personal development tool because anything that is a daily discipline, anything that stays in your life that frequently is a spiritual thing. That's a guiding force. So that's how I, I, I promote nutrition and my own practices is in that way. And that's evolved over time. And so I've gone through different iterations. You know, I've been into completely raw vegan for years. I've 
been vegan, I've been vegetarian, and I've and I went back to eating meat as an experiment, not because I really wanted to, but because I was experiencing some some dips in my health and energy at some point. And I wanted to experiment and find out, you know, like Daniel Vitalis has been someone that I've looked up to for a number of years, but I didn't really agree with some of his things. But I knew that he had a lot of experience of his own and he had come to certain conclusions that at a point in my life that I needed to change something. And I was like, you know what, I better just figure this out now. I better just find out what the truth is now so I don't run the risk of being a victim of my own dogma. You know, because I've seen in the raw food world, in the vegan world, I've seen people go off the deep end um, over extended periods of time, even 20, 30, 40 years, under the illusion that they were in optimum health, but the observation was clearly other than that, right? So I decided to incorporate me back into my life for about two weeks, and I never felt like really good. I never felt bad. I just felt like heavy. I was like, this isn't really like, I don't feel my brain working any better. I don't feel like, I don't really feel like anything's working better. I just feel like I'm, I'm caring more, more than I should. So I, I left that alone, and then I basically fell back into being a raw food advocate again, like I, my spark for, for living foods and for a vegetarian path kind of ignited. And that's where I'm at now where I'm not really dogmatic about it. I just, I just eat what I'm attracted to, which it just so happens. I'm not attracted to fleshy foods. I'm not attracted to like, you know, connective tissue and, and tendons and ligaments and a random carving out of a, a, a hybridized animal. Like it's just for some reason, that's just not really attractive to me. So I don't go for that, but I'm, you know, I'm more attracted to plants, mostly in their raw, their raw state, but not all entirely. I do incorporate a little bit of sweet potatoes, a little bit of quinoa or wild rice, black rice, things of that nature. And mostly my diet pretty much looks like probably like 70 to 90% liquids on any given day. I pretty much like, I feel like liquidarianism ultimately is going to be something that we all need to start acclimating our, our, ourselves towards. We need to start we start moving our body in a way where it learns how to actually fast on less and produce energy from things other than just diet so we can really be efficient. We can really prepare for any kind of shortage in our food supply, anything like that. That's why I love liquid nutrition, tonics, water, you know, like you said, like lemon water, little infusions, um, smoothies and green smoothies, superfood smoothies, berry smoothies, all that kind of thing. All that's present in my diet. And then at night, I'll probably do like a large green leafy salad with, you know, all the trimmings. I love that idea of liquid nutrition. And it just makes sense on so many levels. You can get so much nutrition into that blender, into that drink. It's quick, it cleans up quickly, and it's just so easily assimilated by the body. So Marnie and I are big on smoothies, elixirs. Yeah, just, again, really clean water, like you mentioned. Yeah, I want to address, too, um, the question about animal foods, because this is something I've actually come back out into the community, and I'm starting to talk a lot more about it. And the necessity of being open-minded to this, when I think of animal products, or let me back up here, my personal philosophy is similar to a Buddhist philosophy, which is taking the middle path in life whenever possible. 
So I've gone through the different extremes and I've seen the personality traits of people that stay in the extreme for too long. And based on the communication I see with people that are very extreme, I don't really want that for myself. I feel like health is also communicated through your style of communication. And I'm not really, I, I see a lot of people that are really extreme, whether they're, they're meat eaters or they're vegans who are very into defending their position. They're very into like a religiosity or, or an addiction to being right, basically, which to me spiritually is not really, is really not appropriate. But as far as animal foods go, I, I think there's a very important perspective to apply here is that veganism as a, as a practice is really in our modern day veganism is really a response to the atrocities of factory farming and dairy farming and the cruelty to animals, first of all. Right. And that, that's the, that's where veganism is really blossomed from. And that's the, that's where most people that are very much in the vegan lifestyle and hold on to it. That's where they reside emotionally. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just my observation is that it kind of stays on that realm, but it's not always, it's not always focused on optimum health first and foremost. And from that perspective, I actually feel like to be in true harmony with the natural rhythms of life and with nature, siphoning a little bit of information from the animal world is actually an appropriate thing to do periodically or long term. You know, for me, ghee butter is that thing. Um, I do consume grass fed, pasteurized eggs from time to time, although it's kind of like, it's in and out. It probably won't stick around long term, but it's kind of there once in a while now. And a few other things like that. But, I, you know, my belief is that we don't need to kill in order to live, but we do need to learn how to do a dance. I love that you brought that up because I was going to go there myself and, and commend you on being open about your transition and evolution with your diet. And I totally agree. I think it's almost a necessity for us to go to extremes to find a happy place in the middle. I could see you've done that. And doing these these interviews with health experts every week, we're finding that is a very common theme where people have tried very extremes, whether it be almost all meat, vegan, raw food, and then they end up coming back somewhere in the middle and doing what feels best and what the blood work is showing is best for their body long term. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I look at everything philosophically and then try to place that into function. So if my philosophy doesn't match my my functional needs, then that's an issue. And for me as a vegetarian, I've I've learned to dance where where the music's calling so to speak you know where i need to need to do that or where i can investigate certain holes that i can fill from a plant-based source and if those holes can't be filled or let's say uh, there's a better option at any given time in my life then i'm i'm open to playing with that you know and testing that out on myself so like how do i really feel with this and does it resonate right and that's kind of like the Hindu, the Hindu thing is like the, the, the Hindu culture is a 5,000 year old vegetarian culture. I mean, they knew some things and they didn't eat the cow, right? They, the cow was sacred, but they, and they, so that's the thing too with factory farming is that the whole thing about it is like completely 
atrocious. It's, 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 there's no sacredness. There's no consideration. And even the human workers in the factory farms are living like hell on earth. You know, it's not just the animals. It's both the humans and the animals that are intertwined in that karma. And so when we look at it from that perspective, it's like, oh my gosh, like I would never want to be involved in that. Right. But if we look you know, if we look at like the natural way that animal husbandry or animal participation has been involved in the human life cycle, it's always been like somewhat of a partnership, you know, like on a, on a traditional farm, for example. You know, so I, I try to come back to that as like, you know, I don't want to ignore animals. I don't want to pretend that they're not there. I don't want to, and I don't want to create some kind of um, judgment about certain things that are actually actually good for me either. So it's kind of like that middle path of like, you know, what do I need to survive? What do I need to, or not to survive? What do I need to thrive? What's available to me? And also how can I use that sparingly if possible to maximize my, my life force? Absolutely. And, you know, as you said, it's just all about being aware. The resources are available, you know, just to our listeners. There's so much out there. There's documentaries, there's YouTube videos, some of them a little bit more gruesome than others, but it's it's important for you to be aware of what is going on with our food industry and to test the waters and, you know, pick at it what's what's working for you or not working for you. So that's just kind of, you know, a little takeaway I want to leave everyone with after talking about this. So, Ronnie, you have a new book coming out soon. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And so what are, you know, there's a lot in there. We've taken a glance through it, which we're really excited about. But uh, what are some of the main concepts that you are trying to get across in this book? Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 main, the main theme of the book, it's called the Inner Alchemy Youthening Program. And this is a concept that I have been working out in my head for, for years and years. And I wanted to do a book that was devoted to more of developing inner and outer beauty, inner and outer radiance, and preserving youthful qualities throughout one's life, no matter their age, no matter where they are in the life cycle, no matter what, they could preserve preserve their ultimate life force and have that translated into literally physical beauty. And how to use nutrition, how to use... Um, like the metaphysical perspective, there's a lot in the book about the actual acts of forgiveness, for example, the science of forgiveness, the Ho'oponopono practice of forgiveness from the Hawaiian, the Polynesian culture, and how that directly translates into letting go of baggage in your inner world so you let go of excess layers in your outer world. You know, like why do people store fat? Why do they keep pulling on putting on all this fat, even people that are that have been in the health food movement for years, a lot of people are carrying a sled with 20 pounds of baggage from their past into every day of their life. And, you know, it's, it's a little naive to think that that's not going to translate into some kind of metabolic excess, if you will, right? Some kind of putting on weight because you can't carry everything in your head. All the ideas in our, our brain have to be distributed throughout the body if we don't let go of them or if we don't transform them. So, you know, that's one part of that puzzle. And there's a lot of other empowering principles that we're really bringing into this idea of, of life enhancement, not, not, not focusing on life extension or anti-aging, because again, that's just very superficial 
it's very supplement or pharmaceutical consciousness. We're, we're all going to run out. We're all going to have our last day in the sun. But I want all of us to have fun on that day. I want, I want it to be a place where you are so inspired. You have every, every iota of life force energy circulating through every tissue in your body, through your brain. You're never losing your mental faculties. You have all the inspiration and enthusiasm to live as fully as you can till your last day. That's what I want for people. And that's really what this book ultimately is, is communicating on how to do that. What are the concrete physical and nutritional practices that we can implement right now? What are the metaphysical and mental and spiritual perspectives that we can start to take on to increase our, our ability to transform ourselves? And, you know, how to do it. Well, Ronnie, you've been doing a lot of writing. You mentioned that earlier in the interview. And just over a year ago, you released the Life Food Peak Performance System. And what I love about your work is the fact that you have the research to back it up. You've put over 50 pages of PubMed studies in that first book. It's just, it's just great to see that you have the science there behind this information. You're probably the only person that's actually read that. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I wondered that actually. I was like, for some reason, I felt like my friend Roy Dittman, Dr. Roy Dittman, who's one of the world's prominent uh, authorities on, on child development, pregnancy, preconception, um, nutrition, and detoxification. He was, he was writing the testimonial for that book or one of the testimonials. And that was the moment, like, I just, I just got this aha moment. I was like, I should probably, like, spend some time compiling, like, a body of, like, really analytical data that most people can't even understand and just, and just put it into the end of the book because there are people out there that actually require that information, you know, that require that just for their, their kind of left brain to be satisfied. And I totally get that because I've gone over all that information, which gives me the confidence and the conviction to actually speak more about the psycho-spiritual and, and metaphysical aspects at this point, because now I'm not confused. I'm not under any illusion or somebody said this, so it must be true. It's like, no, I actually know from the research that this this is based on you know some concrete evidence, but then also I have more. I'm able to draw more from the the other realms of life and health that kind of bring both those worlds together. Yeah, and I think that we can't always a hundred percent wait on and rely on the scientific research because, like anything else, there's flaws there. It sometimes is lagging a little bit, and we can't wait to start implementing all these amazing health protocols. Yeah. But writing a book like you have that is talking about a lot of different paradigms that people typically in the mainstream aren't aware of or aren't talking about, you're going to have those people that are wanting to poke holes. And it's just great to see that you've put that shield in place and you've backed up the work that you're putting out there. Yeah, right on. So Ronnie, we're going to do something fun here. We're going to switch gears and we're just going to ask you a handful of rapid fire questions. And we just want you to answer first thing that comes to mind. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. So we'll let Marnie kick it off here. All right. What's one thing most people don't know about you? That I've been a martial artist since I was four years old. Awesome. Still, you're still practicing, eh? 
I think I stopped practice. Well, no, that's not true. I, I practice, but now it's martial arts is such a part of my personality and, and who I am that it's, you know, it, it's more of I apply everything I've learned to everything else I do. I'm more training in basketball again right now. Cool. Yeah, but, you know, martial arts is definitely always something that's, that's very close to me. So, Ronnie, what is your greatest fear? Ooh, not being good enough. If there's someone in this world you could go out for lunch with, who would you go with and where would you go? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's hard. I don't know why Brad Pitt's in my head right now. <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> nice. what that's about. <laughs> what would you want to talk to him about? Uh, I would probably talk to him about his process as a performer, actually, carrying on the roles of a of a of a made up character and really getting in the getting in the the fabric of what it is like the human condition, basically, because that's what I feel like acting really is, is that you're really tapping into what makes somebody who they are. And that's a very deep thing, let alone to do that in ourselves. So I, I would talk to him about that because I imagine that to be as great of an actor as he he is, he's probably had to go through his own inner condition um, to, to pull out those jewels. So, Ronnie, if you could go back 10 years and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? <sighs> Just one thing. You know what? I think it's going to be the same advice that I heard. That question was asked to Rupert Sheldrake in an interview he did a while back. And he, he said that I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase what he said is my answer. I would tell myself to be more, uh, what's the word, um, to less, less hesitant about speaking up for what I believe in, to be even more, not aggressive, but more, you know, even over the top to some extent to, to get the message out there to basically to not back down to my own fears of what people think or what's appropriate or what's acceptable to pretty, pretty much discard all that because it, because what I've learned at this point is none of that stuff seems to matter anyways. It's really just it's you standing up for what you really believe in um, and standing by that. So that's probably what I would say. Wow. Sounds good. And what is your favorite snack on the go? Green juice. I thought you were going to go with cacao, so nice. Yeah, it's it's changed. <laughs> okay. Is cacao still a big part of your routine? It, yeah, it's pretty much installed into it. It's not. I don't eat as much as I used to, but cho- me and chocolate have a very, very fond relationship with one another, so it's always there. Nice. So, Ronnie, here's the situation. You're on a desert island. You have uh-huh. everything that's already there. What do you bring along you can bring one item we'll assume there's cacao trees Mm, i would probably if everything like i need there is provided i could only bring one thing yes i'm one food one food yes sorry one food i uh, a pack of seeds to plant coconut trees or yeah okay that, that's what I, that's pretty much what I'll need. Practical. <laughs> nice. Yeah. If I were to pick one thing, that would be a book. Yeah. Yeah. It'd yeah. be good to have some form of inspiration I, and uh, entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ronnie. So if there's one thing you can leave our listeners with as something that they can take away after this episode to lead them towards ultimate health, what would it be? And this doesn't have to be a rapid fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think it would really be to, to ultimately the thing that matters most is that you get really clear why you're here, what you're doing on this planet. What is your life all about and what do you want your life to be? What do you want your legacy to be? And once you, once you start with that end in mind, then the rest fills itself in. Your diet becomes a lot easier. It's no longer this big struggle. I find most people are inefficient in their life because their thinking is very inefficient. So they're not very clear with their thought process and therefore their, their life reflects that. So if you can clear up the congestion in your mind and focus in on what you truly are about, then everything else will, you'll be attracted to the things that are, are required in order to fulfill that. I love it. Figure out your mission and things will fall into place. That's right. All right, Ronnie. So when can people have access to your new book? When is it going to be released in hard copy? Mm -hmm. It's going to be released officially on August 15th. But right now we have a pre-sale going on where people can go to www.holistichealthmastery.com slash pre, P-R-E, middle dash sale, S-A-L-E, middle dash book. So holistichealthmastery.com slash pre, middle dash sale, middle dash book. And it might be a lot, but I'm sure you yeah. guys put that in your, your footer notes. We're going to have show um, notes. We're going to have a link there okay. and we're going to link to everything yeah. else we talked about. In a summary, listeners, ultimatehealthpodcast.com. Sorry, Ronnie, continue. Yeah, cool. So people people will be able to pre-sale their purchase for that. And then the people that do the pre-sale will receive a copy of the autograph copy of the book ahead of its August 15th release. Okay. So when do they have until to take advantage of that? I believe from now till July 30th. Okay. And Ronnie, any other areas on the web you'd like people to go and uh, check out what you're all about connect with you yeah i would love for people to check out holistichealthmastery.com which is my online holistic nutrition certification course and it's all video based so it's a 70 video curriculum of everything we've talked about and so 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 much more i'm really going from the basics of of health and psychology or personal development I should say all the way to the the intermediate and advanced stages of raw food nutrition superfood nutrition herbal nutrition detoxification hormone balance there's a lot of information on calcification like we talked about and many other areas so I really encourage people to go to holistichealthmastery.com and again that's a nutrition certification course that is really just growing rapidly we almost have a hundred students in the course right now and it started in March and the feedback is astronomical it's better than I could have expected wow Ronnie you're doing a lot of great work I'm sure you've done an amazing job of putting that together so listeners be sure to check that out and Ronnie, this conversation's been a lot of fun. We got off on a lot of tangents, just let things flow, and it was great connecting with you. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get a ton from it. Yeah, right on. It's been my pleasure. Okay, Ronnie. So all the best to you. And listeners, be sure to head over to ultimatehealthpodcast.com. Check out the show notes on today's episode. 
Also, head over to iTunes if you haven't done so already and leave us a rating and review. Give our show a little boost in the charts and more people are going to get this great health message. So thank you guys for all the support so far and we will be talking to you guys soon. Take care. Have an awesome day.